Amen. Thank you, choir and musicians. It's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. Like Rachel said earlier, I'm just so excited about a lot of the things that God is doing in this church. I made the, the bold claim in a, a deacon administrative committee meeting a few weeks ago. I said, I'm not going to go to finance committee meetings anymore because I don't particularly enjoy the business of church. I'm not good at it. It, it wears me out. I'm not going to go. Everybody said, okay, that's, that's fine. And then, uh, you know, I got the financial report and it was, it was a good one. And I got up early feeling good about church today. And I told my wife, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the, the finance committee meeting, even though I said I wasn't. And then I, I showed up and it was so encouraging to hear, you know, eight or nine just godly men and women talking about the, the stewardship of the church's resources and raising the bar and, and getting healthier and, and doing things for God's glory in this church. And I just left grateful and we had a wonderful time yesterday at men's breakfast talking about the future of men's ministry here at the church and so many people who give of themselves and, and who serve selflessly in this church. I'm just so grateful to be your pastor and I'm excited about the future. This big choir today, I mean, it just sounds great and just we have a lot of great things going on here and I just, I want you to know that, that uh, the Lord is really moving here and we are blessed Indeed, and, and part of that blessing is that we have folks in this church who may be struggling, but they struggle well, and, and they are walking through hard times, but they're doing so by faith and not by sight. And some folks are even struggling with this sermon series, and they have told me that they are struggling with the Apostles' Creed, but they, they tell me that they're struggling, but they're willing to learn and they're willing to grow, and they're willing to look at scriptures with us together and see what the Bible says about these basic Christian doctrines that are the core of our faith. So thank you for walking on this journey. Some of you just have said, I love this series, and some of you said, I don't love it, but I'm willing to go with you through it. So thank you to both of that, uh, sides of that. You know, I, I think as, as human beings, we are made mind body and soul, and so holistically we must subject each aspect of what it means to be human to the Lordship of Christ, and that, that sounds obvious with our soul and our spiritual lives, but it may not be so obvious when we talk about our thoughts or our bodies, so I, I try to stay healthy, I try to eat right when I can and exercise every now and then when I can, and and I, I read an article recently about health that I, I thought was fascinating. The title was, Sitting is the New Smoking. Have you heard this? Have you seen this? Sitting is the New Smoking. The, it was based on a study uh, done by a bunch of smart doctors that they looked at 8,000 adults and they found a direct correlation between sitting and death. <laughs> Basically, they said sitting will kill you, objectively, medically speaking. So all of you who are standing for the creed and, and yeah, sitting, yeah, thank you, Calvin. Yeah, that's exactly right. 30 minutes of sitting and, and so I'm, I'm going to keep this short today so you can stand. All this standing for the creed and stuff, you're welcome. It's saving your life. So uh, maybe we should be more liturgical in our, in our worship. But the study showed that people who sat for long stretches actually died sooner. And I, I've seen that there's a boom in the standing desk industry. Anybody here, anybody have a standing desk? I know Logan does. Oh, Braden, awesome. Rebecca, a lot of you guys have standing desks. I've even seen them with um, 
a treadmill underneath the desk so you can actually walk or, or jog while you work and type. That may be going a, a little far. The, the doctors recommend that you just stand up every now and then like Calvin did and just move around a little bit. That's really the best thing for you. But our culture is moving towards standing, maybe getting away from sitting like it got away from smoking. But today we're going to talk about someone who sits and someone who's not in danger of dying because he's already died once before and then defeated death. The creed says that Jesus Christ ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. That was in Hebrews 12 too, the verse that Trey just read earlier. Why does Jesus sit? Doesn't he know it's bad for you? Why does he sit? Well, if anyone deserves to sit down, it's Jesus Christ. We see in our text this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, why Jesus sits. He sits because he has achieved the greatest accomplishment in history. Jesus sits because he has done the ultimate work once and for all. He has done the will of God by taking away the sins of the world. So let's stand this morning as a health benefit, also in honor of God's word, most importantly, as I read our text from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 14. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law, Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat if you dare. You know, we're, we're very blessed to have a lot of retirees in our congregation. I was just talking to David Popkin a few weeks ago. I said, how's school going? He said, I'm retired. I retired this year. And I said, how do you like it? He said, oh, I love it. 
And these retirees may have finished their working careers, but you know they have not slowed down. Dr. Pangle back there just retired finally after teaching for, I don't know, 50, 60 years, something like that. Unbelievable career. But they have not slowed down. She's at the gym all the time working out. You know, uh, these retirees are the people who visit our homebound members during the day. These are the people who have refocused their energies. They volunteer at the hospital. They deliver the borough bags to Hillsborough High School each week. They come and they put the cards in the pew racks each week and serve our church in so many other ways. When my dad retired from pastoring a few years ago, he started really working on his yard. And I mean working. I mean, he got his yard looking beautiful. He bought fertilizer and plants and tools, and he cultivated this oasis in his front yard. You, you saw the picture there. Show that, that picture, Mark, of his, yeah, that's his yard. Uh, looks incredible every spring. This is what it, it looks like. Go to that next one. Just plants that are thriving and, and perfect mulching and manuscape, uh, uh, manicured landscape, manicured lawn. And finally, this, this past spring, he won the coveted Yard of the Month Award in his yard. Yeah, the HOA Association, the Homeowners Association gave him the Yard of the Month Award, the gift card to the nursery. He was so proud and so excited. This morning, we're going to talk about what Jesus did after he finished his earthly career. He cultivated and, and flourished not only a, a piece of land, the yard, but he's cultivating his church now. We, we've walked through the middle part of this creed the last few weeks, right? The, the longest part of the creed is the center section, and it's all about Jesus Christ, because our faith is a Christological, Christocentric faith. And, and, and we started out this section talking about the miraculous incarnation that God actually put on flesh and came and dwelt among us. He moved into the neighborhood. And then we talked the next week about how Jesus was actually born to die. He suffered and was crucified in our place. And then last week, we celebrated Easter early, and we saw how the gospel is not just that Jesus died for our sins, but that he rose again. Our, our Christian hope is based firmly in the fact of the resurrection. Easter changed everything. Death itself was defeated forever and began to work backwards. So then what happened? That's not the end of the story, is it? What's Jesus doing now? Well, even before his death, Jesus explained to his disciples that he had to go, that he had to leave in order to prepare a place for them. And this scared them. It saddened them, of course. They, they didn't know what to do without their rabbi. How could they possibly carry on the mission of, of worldwide redemption that God had entrusted to them through Jesus, their Messiah, their Master and Lord. He was the one for whom they had left everything behind, families, jobs, in order to follow this rabbi for the rest of their lives. But on the night of the Last Supper, Jesus told them that it was actually going to be good for them for him to leave. Look at John chapter 16, verses 5 through 8. He tells them in the upper room, now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. 
For if I do not go away, the Helper, capital H, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus basically tells his sad disciples, look guys, this whole thing is going to work better if I go away. This whole thing is going to be better for you when I'm gone because I'm going to send a helper so powerful, so amazing, that the whole world will be changed by him. And I don't want to spoil the message in two weeks that's going to be about the Holy Spirit, but this is a huge claim. Jesus is claiming that God, the Spirit, who will come and indwell believers all over the world, that that act of the Spirit filling God's people is better for us than actually having Jesus physically present on earth. Do we believe that? So, of course, Jesus keeps his promise, and he sends the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And now the Spirit lives in us. God, the Spirit, lives in us and moves among us as he brings us and this whole world back to the Father through redemption in Jesus. Okay, but but again, what happens to Jesus? Well, again, he fills his promise and he he leaves. Acts chapter 1 describes the ascension of Jesus Christ. Forty days had passed since the resurrection. You know, in liturgical churches, they observe Ascension Day, which is observed when? Forty days after Easter, of course. And during those 40 days, Jesus appeared to, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that Jesus had appeared to over 500 of the brothers. He, he continued to minister in his resurrected body for those 40 days. Remember that beautiful scene in John 20 where he's on the beach with his disciples having breakfast? And he charges Peter to, to feed his sheep. And he tells him that the, the, the keys to the kingdom are his and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. And all these disciples thought, this is awesome. This is so great. Jesus is back. He's, he's not dead. He's, he's risen. He's got this cool resurrected body. He's better than ever. Nothing can stop us now. Let's kick those dirty Romans out of Palestine and take over again. Let's, let's make Israel strong and, and, a, and a, a real relevant player in world politics again. And let's, let's make like a Davidic kingdom where we have peace and prosperity in Israel again. But that's never been the plan. That was never the will of God. That's not how the kingdom of God works. It's not by might, not by human power. Look at the way Luke tells it starting in verse 6 of of chapter 1 in Acts. When the disciples had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up on a cloud that took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I love this passage because... 
I can relate to the disciples, right? <laughs> these, these poor disciples are like, what? I thought that it was Roman kicking time. I thought it was time to fight the Romans. And he just went up in the air. And so they stare up in the sky with their mouths hanging open like, uh, now what do we do? <laughs> and the angel shows up and says, guys, snap out of it. Quit staring. Why are you standing around just looking up in the air? He's coming back. Don't panic. But in the meantime, there's some work to do. So let's go. We can't blame them, right? It had to be an amazing thing to behold. All of a sudden, their master and rabbi was taken up in a, a cloud. C.S. Lewis describes it this way. He says, they saw first a short vertical movement and then a vague luminosity. That's what cloud presumably means. And then nothing. But Jesus wasn't simply taken up into the air. He wasn't going to outer space. The, the creed says he ascended into heaven. Heaven is the paradise where God the Father dwells and where Jesus came from before the incarnation at Christmas. It's where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have dwelt eternally in perfect unity since before all time began. It's the place where God's will and reign and rule are done perfectly, which is why we pray in the Lord's Prayer, why Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because in heaven it's always perfectly done. The ascension of Jesus then was a return to glory. The pre-incarnate Jesus, that means before he was born, right, was existing in glory, and he humbled himself and became obedient and took on the form of a human. But his ascension was a return to exalted glory. It was illustrated perfectly in this moment by him rising back, exalted. The message of the ascension is that Jesus is exalted on high and he reigns. Like Richard said, I really enjoyed looking at songs for this uh, service today. And Jesus Shall Reign is one of my favorite hymns. And he suggested he is exalted in the Twilight Paris song that we sang earlier. And I said, you know, I've always pictured that song as being about God the Father. But it's, it's not. It's really about Jesus, isn't it? He is exalted. The King is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is the Lord forever. His truth shall reign. Heaven and earth rejoice in his holy name. That's the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ. The ascension shows us that Jesus reigns in glory, but that still doesn't really answer the question of what that looks like as Jesus reigns. This is where the writer of Hebrews helps us. Let's look again at our text for today in Hebrews 10. The reason Jesus ascends, the reason that Jesus reigns, is that he has accomplished what he came to earth to do. The first few verses of our text show us that clearly the old system of the law and the, the Old Testament prohibitions and rituals and sacrifices, that law was powerless to save us from our sins. Verse 1 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, you know, that the law is a shadow of the perfection that God demands, and the true form of that perfection came in the form of Jesus Christ. 
So the shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near to the altar at the temple. You know, each year the the high priest of Israel would take a a goat and put its hand on it and and transfer the, the sins symbolically of the nation of Israel to that goat on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, right? The Day of Atonement. One day a year where the sins of the nation were symbolically uh, forgiven uh, by the Lord and and through the the sacrifices. The sacrifices didn't actually remove sins, though. It was symbolic. The sacrifice of atonement only represented the forgiveness of the sins of the previous year. So what happened the day after Yom Kippur? (laughs) They're right back into a guilty state again. They're right back into a guilty conscience of having their sins. We've got 364 more days until Yom Kippur. We're stuck for another year. No sooner did the next day the people find themselves guilty again. Then starting in verse 5, we see that Jesus was God's plan all along to forge salvation, to take away the sins of the world. The writer quotes from Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is, is he saying it was Jesus talking in Psalm 40, the Messiah, who would do away with the showy outward rituals and sacrifices that, that people just put on for performance. He would do away with those in order to do God's will of actually achieving forgiveness, actually obtaining a sacrifice that would once for all forgive sin. Verse 10 makes that clear. Verse 10 says, by that will, the will of God, we've been sanctified. That means cleansed, made holy through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then we get to the retirement part, right? In verse 11, where Jesus gets to sit down. Verse 11 says, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father, waiting from that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet. I love that image. Instead of standing up day after day like the other priests did, constantly chopping up the sacrificial animals and rearranging them on the altar and burning them up with the the burnt offerings that were brought to them. Instead of doing that over and over, Jesus sits down and he puts his feet up on the footstool of his enemies. It's a powerful picture for for many reasons. The, The reality of Jesus sitting on his throne at the right hand, the, the, the right hand of God the Father was the favored position, the place of honor. He sits in the place of honor, and that reality gives us supreme hope in the midst of a world full of trouble. Let me give you three, I'm going to give you four reasons why this matters. Why this matters for us today, that Jesus sits down here to reign over creation. First, it matters because it means that Jesus rules, that he reigns, that he won the victory that he's the victor over death, over Satan, over sin, over the grave. Satan has been dealt a death blow. And we know, you know, hunters will tell us that mortally wounded animals are are the most dangerous because they know they're going to die. 
They're dangerous for a little while, but then they're going to die. As Luther puts it in the old hymn, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. But because Jesus reigns in heaven, because he sits on his throne, we don't have to be afraid. Luther goes on, you know, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. I've, I've seen a lot of political ads lately, I'm sure you have too, both sides. I'm not taking a side, but I am telling you that they're using fear as a weapon, both sides, to try to get you to vote the way they want you to vote. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. I got a card in the mail last week advertising a book about the decline of Christianity, and it's, it sounds terrifying, you know, but we don't have to fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers because he ascended into heaven. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. It's nothing that the earth did. The spirit and the gifts are ours. The Holy Spirit that he sent to us through him who with us sideth. So let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Because Jesus ascended, and he's now that word above all earthly powers. That's the word that fells our enemy. The second reason it matters that Jesus sits at the right hand of God is that he is now our great advocate in heaven. He's become the guarantee of our salvation before the presence of God the Father Almighty. This is good news. Romans 8:34 says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Wow. Jesus pleads our cause to the Father. It'd be like, you know, showing up for a, a big presentation at the company and the CEO of the company says, I got this, I'm going to do the presentation for you. It'd be like walking into court and the, the judge isn't there because the judge says, I'm, I'm going to be your attorney today and, and the judge. <laughs> It'd be a pretty sweet gig. You can't fail knowing that Jesus is the guarantee of your victory over sin, over death. Another great hymn, Before the Throne of God Above, says, Before the Throne of God Above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. He is a great high priest, but unlike the other high priest, he sits down because his work is done. But just because Christ is there, because he's present in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, that guarantees all grace to us and the future glory of reigning with him in the future. Third, it matters that Jesus sits because our lives now as believers are connected to Christ's life in heaven. We have a hidden life with Christ. It, it has to do with our, our perfect fellowship now with God, the Father, and the Son, that nothing, not even death,
can ever take away from us. The last stanza of that hymn before the throne of God above says, Behold him there, the risen lamb. He's there. Behold him there in heaven. My perfect spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am, king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. That, that comes from Colossians 3. Paul writes in Colossians 3.3, 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's what baptism is all about. That we are buried with Christ in baptism, Romans 6. And then we're raised with Christ into a resurrected whole new way of being as a regenerated child of God. Finally, it matters that Jesus sits because he has done the work that we never could have done. He has accomplished for us what we strive so hard to do. You know what, what God's standard is for getting into heaven? Perfection. It's perfection. I told some teenagers that, and they said, then we're all in trouble. How can we possibly ever get to heaven if God's standard is perfection? It's because Jesus is our perfect, spotless righteousness. He has achieved that righteousness through his death and resurrection so that we don't have to. You don't have to experience the weight of sin on your shoulders like Jesus did because he's already done it for us. We can rest easy and not work so hard to be perfect because Christ has given us his perfection and taken all of our sin in what Martin Luther calls a glorious exchange. If we will remember these truths, that Jesus lives and pleads our case before the throne of God above as our perfect advocate, that our lives are hidden with him on high, and that he has done the work that we never could have done for us. If we will remember these truths, we will live in the perfect peace and hope and fearlessness that Christ gives us. We will live with a heavenly, victorious outlook and not a defeated, scared, or anxious outlook. The, the Book of Common Prayer has this prayer for Ascension Day, and I want to share it with you now. May it be our prayer today as well. Grant, we pray, Almighty God, that as we believe your only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to have ascended into heaven, so we, may we also, in heart and mind, there ascend, and with him continually dwell, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this truth of the ascension, that Jesus didn't just dwell among us and hang out and set up a, a political kingdom, but that he rose back to heaven from whence he came in order to sit on his throne and rule over this creation. We thank you that he is exalted, that he reigns. Help us to remember that truth when we walk through this world with devils filled and threatens to undo us. Help us to remember that Christ is the victor, 
that Satan has been defeated, that we have no need to fear death or anything else in this life because you rose from the dead and then you rose back into heaven. God, I pray that our hearts and our minds would dwell with you in heaven, that we would set our minds on things that are above and not the things of this world, that the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of your heavenly glory and your heavenly grace. God, I pray that you would forgive us for times when we have run scared, when we've been anxious, when we forget that you reign, when we forget who fights our battles for us so that we don't have to. God, forgive us for spinning our wheels, for for anxiously trying to achieve that which you already have achieved for us, perfection, spotless righteousness that you have given to us freely out of the lavish grace that you have bestowed on us. God, I pray that you would help us to live victorious lives where our hearts and minds would ascend just like you ascended. We pray this in the powerful, precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Maybe you feel like you've been living that defeated life. You've never accepted the free gift of salvation that God has forged for you through Jesus. If you need to accept the gift of salvation that Jesus offers you today freely, I'd love to come and talk with you about that right now during our time of invitation. Maybe you're ready to join Woodmont. You feel God has led you here and you're ready to join our retirees and our young people and our families and our our youth who do so much as well, our children's ministry. You're ready to to start pouring out and not just being poured into. If you want to join Woodmont Baptist Church as a member, I'd love to talk with you about what that looks like as well today. Maybe you just want to come to the altar and pray. I know we have people who are sick, who are suffering, who need to pray with someone for healing, for emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever it may be in their lives. I'm going to invite uh, Trey and and Brad, if you'll come as well. And if if you want to pray with um, Rachel, if you'll stand up here as well. If you want to pray with one of these people, I I invite you to come and and have a word of prayer as well. Whatever it is you need to do, we're going to sing the truth that there is a Redeemer, a great high priest who sits at the right hand of God the Father. Let's stand and sing.